Hi, this is Jade Taylor from Sci-Fi's The Magicians. I play Katie Orloff Diaz, and welcome to the Coffee Clash. Welcome, welcome to the Coffee Clash. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, The Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing episode 11, 23. Written by Henry Alonso Myers and Mike Moore. Directed by Mira Meenan. IMDb gave this a 9.1. The summary is the group strategizes as Josh and Julia travel to a familiar place and are given a chance to help. So I think let's just start off comparing the differences between Timeline 23 and Timeline 40. That's going to be a major through line throughout this entire episode. In Timeline 23, the new one we're traveling to, the world is in crisis because the plumbers turned off magic. But the beast still had it because he has the seventh key. He's killing magicians who have banded together for their survival. And we see that each character, while essentially the same person as in our timeline, does have a lot of differences. Well, they all grew up the same, right? So the timelines were identical until that one split. And it seems like timeline 23, our magicians have either died or gone through even more trials and tribulations than our timeline 40. There are even some differences before the major crisis, though, such as alternate Josh being left behind on spring break with none of the friends coming back for him. And his whole issue with lycanthropy, which we'll get into that potentially. Does this mean anything for our Josh in the current timeline? You have Dean Fogg just looking even worse for wear. He's become paranoid and addicted to opiates, not just alcohol. But these aren't all things that are different between them before this timeline split. Well, the Josh thing is. Okay. Um, I don't know when Dean Fogg started his downfall. I'm assuming around the same time when break bills got shut down. We know the Julia thing was different right from the very beginning because she's been at Breakbills this whole time. Major difference. She's known as the best magician there. Julia and Penny are soulmates in this one. How do you feel about that? I don't know how I feel. I don't think it's too off kilter. Um, in this timeline, we don't have a Katie at all that goes to Breakbills. And it seems like Penny is the kind of person to fall in love. Yeah, I see these two characters together. I can't wait to talk about that more. I never thought about it, but I do like it. Elliot and Margot are ghosts trapped in the library, reliving the trauma of their deaths at the hands of a failed Rhineman Ultra spell. And Quentin is the beast. Holy shit. That was a twist. I did not see coming. Overall, I really, really liked this episode. I think they were tackling something big yet again with trying to do alternate timelines, different versions of characters. How does this fit into our current story? And I think they nailed it. Yeah, I think this is one of our only episodes in this series where it's focused on one singular plot. Most of the time they're juggling many things going on, which they do very well. But this difference was actually a nice reprieve. But at the same time, we still had a lot going on within this one plot, which was amazing. I love the way they twist and turned ideas. It's actually fun. You take the time to cultivate these characters, to cultivate the storylines, and then in one week, you flip it all upside down and you see how the viewers react to it. It's very interesting and it's got to be very fun for the writers too, because it's kind of like erase all of this for this episode. Let's have some fun. Yeah, all of the things that maybe you think about with the characters and you would like to explore, but the plot limits that from happening normally, you can go outside of that for this episode. 
And it really does show how one event can ripple out to affect the whole future, your whole future as a person. We always knew that when we took Julia as an example. When she didn't make it into break bills and she didn't have magic, that altered the rest of her course forever. And didn't fundamentally change her, but look at the difference between the two timelines. Look at the difference in Penny between the two timelines. Quentin becomes the bad guy in timeline 23. It, it massively affects all of them. Absolutely. And if you think about it, this is crazy to think. The Quentin we know would never do that. But at the same time, being told that this Quentin does become the bad guy makes sense. I can totally see it happening because when we flash back to a younger Martin Chatwin, he's not a bad guy. He loves the idea of magic and fillery more than anyone else, and he goes through a lot of trauma and winds up being led astray in these different directions so far that he doesn't know how to find his way back and ultimately winds up with no shade. And we know once that happens, you are just not that person anymore. This is not really Quentin anymore. That's another thing you just reminded me. They were able to change storylines, but also still keep some key seedings of our Timeline 40 to the fact that they didn't have to re-explain everything completely. So we know about Shades being taken and it completely changing you. So they didn't have to re-explain or they didn't have to introduce this whole new storyline and make sure we understood what was going on. They re-implemented implemented similar concepts but to different storylines. Well, and this makes me wonder, because the main events were all basically the same, the group goes to Fillory. They try to rule. One of the Earthlings becomes obsessed with power and turns into our bad guy, the Beast. The group comes in and tries to combat that. Ember and Umber wind up dying, at which point the old gods step in and have the plumbers turn off magic. It's the same for both. Can we ever really escape the end destiny, the final destination of where we're headed? Or is it just little things that we tweak along the way? Well, you asking that just reminds me of what Hades said to us and the smirk he had on his face with the humans. You know, you're trying to run from your destiny. He doesn't say it in so many words, but basically it's going to happen anyways. Magic always comes back. The gods always play the same game. If you'd lived for hundreds and thousands of years you would see that the cycle keeps repeating. Stop trying to fight it so hard. But that has been the entire point of the season to get magic back. And we wind up with this really big bomb drop at the end. And I'm sorry to fast forward, but it's in line with what we're talking about here. That Quentin says this key that allows him to see the future showed him when Julia gets to the very end of this quest, a door at the end of the world, and opens it to let back in magic, horrible things happen. Does that mean we never get magic back? Hades said we do. Well, that's a big jump. One, we have to realize that the future that Quentin 23 saw is a different timeline future. So it doesn't necessarily... I know we just said main concepts do occur, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the exact same. Further, he doesn't say directly that instead of getting magic, you get a beast. No, he almost says you let both in. That's the insinuation kind of. I get from yeah. it. When you let magic in, this monster comes through. Maybe if she knows she can stop it, or maybe once we have magic, it's okay because we'll figure out a way to defeat him the same way we've been figuring it out the whole time. Certainly makes things a lot more dangerous and interesting. As I say that, I'm questioning myself because Julia in this timeline's dead. 
So the timeline, the future he saw of a Julia opening the door at the end of time has to be Julia 40. But listen, rather than getting hung up mm-hmm. on that, this is when we get into the timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. Yeah, but, but it's okay. It's <laughs> fun. We are going to go through it further, though, as we get into our plot. Before that, we have new faces and places. Faces are mostly other iterations, whether it's timeline 23 versus current timeline. So we won't go through that all now. We have the reappearance for spells and magic of the Rhineman Ultra spell the one that they used in the other timeline to defeat the beast that takes godlike power. We have the reappearance of Teslaflexion, and I love that they brought that back, a device that allows you to communicate across timelines for two minutes only. And of course, we have the seventh key, which offers visions of the future and is being held by the beast. So introducing the seventh key, last episode I said they've been going in chronological order. Christina, there's no way they're going to go to the seventh key. I was off on that. We were both right and we were both wrong. Yeah. I was right in the fact that this wasn't the sixth key that they were searching for last episode. You were right in the fact that this would be the seventh key. And that they would go out of order. So, yeah, the sixth key is in the fairy realm, but they pause that, which is very interesting. We're on a cliffhanger with what the hell is going to happen in the fairy realm with getting that key. We're on many cliffhangers. Let's talk about Poppy. Where's Poppy? Where's Katie? For that matter. That was my next thing. Where's Katie? What has happened to Harriet and Victoria? Are they just gone, gone? Or are they still in that mirror bridge? Well, I believe Katie, and I can't explain why, I believe Katie's trying to get them. If anyone's closest to Harriet in the, in the crew, it's Katie. She's either trying to get them or figure out a way to talk to Penny. We know she took that key and said... That's what she was doing. But I noted that that didn't make sense. Anytime before someone had been looking for Penny, they took the truth key. Whereas she took the fifth key with her, the one to greater magic. And if you're trying to figure out an end around for this mirror bridge, that kind of does make sense. I'm very confused and very excited to find out what that's about. Crazy two episodes in a row without Katie. Mm-hmm. But again, let me go back to my original question. Where's Poppy? We don't trust her, right? She's out for herself. She took something, and she sprinted out of there before everybody. Actually, I can't remember if she took something. There's so much going on. I can't, <laughs> I can't keep it all in a she, row. She but did just dip on them, though, and that's a good question. Where did she go? What is she up to? I wonder if she's with Katie. I doubt it. She yeah. didn't seem too keen to help on any of this. Next, we saw the world getting destroyed again. We saw that clip, and this time they sat on it a little longer. And it was, again, right before the Netherlands library scene. So I am 100% convinced that is the world that's falling apart. Plus the fact that in this timeline, before they showed it, 23, this is where Penny takes them to the library. And he says, ever since he's been coming there, it's been abandoned. So it's almost like that destruction started happening sooner. And they pieced much the same way they do here and wind up switching over to the underworld branch. But it's just a lot slower and a lot later. They have progressed along, I think, in this destruction. And are they just leaving it for gone? Maybe. But that's a good point. We still don't entirely know what the library is up to or what they're after here. We still don't know what Alice's true and full affiliation is with them. There's a lot of questions remaining. As far as this episode is concerned, it was chock full of humor, magic, pop culture, Harry Potter, Star Wars references. They were big on the Harry Potter this time. And Princess Bride. 
Mm-hmm. Very fun. And did you think Q made a good bad guy? Oh, my goodness. Don't get me on this train again because I love when Jason Ralph plays a different kind of character. I thoroughly enjoyed when he was playing the depression monster, Quentin, and had to step up his acting and show us a whole nother side. I felt very similar when he portrayed the beast here, only better because it's more extreme. I think he did an absolutely amazing job. I have to agree with you. He was so smooth with it. I think this is something that we haven't seen in a bad guy in The Magicians yet. Someone smooth with it, the way he turned after the moths disappeared. So slick. And I was like, oh, shit. It reminded me a little of Martin Chadwin. And man, when you think about it, Quentin was very similar to Martin younger. And then they they split off in what happened to them later in life, which took them in different directions. But if they didn't, well, look here, he winds up running along the same path. So I find that totally believable. And with every other character as well, I really enjoyed Alice's performance as Alice 23. So much of what we haven't seen in her in a long time, that innocence, that goodness. Yeah. How much she loves Quentin and wants to help him. I just absolutely hated the shoes she was wearing. Yeah, well, you get a chance look a at mess. those shoes again. <laughs> she was working for bunnies. <laughs> Whenever they can introduce those bunnies again, uh, I'm happy because uh, they're, they're amazing. They're radish smugglers in this one. I love it. Uh, but yet again, starting off the episode, we have the briefest of scenes on the Munchak where we see Elliot and Margot, and then that's it. Three episodes in a row. Well, like I said last episode, it's time for them to sit aside a little bit for a little bit as Julia takes control of the main theme. Yeah, they managed to still tell us quickly the vague idea of what's happening in Fillory. Tick has not gone to ground. As we said, he would continue stirring trouble. He's put out wanted posters for Elliot, Margot, Quentin and Alice. So when Julia sends the group a bunny to say they're on good terms with the Fairy Queen, Margot is still not keen to play nice. She's still having difficulty. It's going to take a while, much as you predicted. Yeah, I said there's no way Margot's going to just jump on board. But I didn't know she'd say, fuck Tinker, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Her sayings were on board tonight. She was like, okay, sci-fi is letting me say the F word. Let's go for it. And I only have 15 seconds. How many can I get in? (laughs) But also, they set the stage of why. They can't leave Fillory to go and talk to Julia. Tick wants all of their heads. The only one he doesn't know about who can move freely is Josh. I still have trouble. I don't know about you, but I still have trouble picturing Tick Pickwick as someone to be worried about. That's because we haven't seen that side of him since we've known Tick. It's all been this big facade, and he played it so well to win Margot and Elliot over. Yeah, I guess you're right, because I was even thinking about the fact that their army always failed them, but I guess they were working for Tick the whole time. So, yeah, I guess you're right. He's actually been a genius. If we speak a little about what we did last time, the fact that he lulled us into this false sense of security, we came to think of him as almost a sidekick of Margot's, who's there to throw in a funny commentary now and again. More like a side chick. (laughs) Is ignorant to the ways of the world. He did his job very effectively. Do I think he's some kind of battle-hardened leader? No. He's a sneaky thief, as he told us his family has that reputation. But he's good at that. He's incited the people, and they're still out for blood. 
But anyhow, this whole situation sets up a rather interesting duo of Josh and Julia. We've commented all season long that they've been playing around with that, the different pairings of characters. I think it brings out different sides of them, lets us see other things that are going on. You know, if we have Julia and Quentin together, we're always going to get the same kind of dynamic, the same through lines going on. Pair them up with other people, the way you did with Fen and Alice, Fen and Julia. It opens up another world, and I think they did that yet again here. It took me a minute to get warm to Josh and Julia, though. Yeah, except if you think back to when Josh had his meltdown and he kept saying Julia was the only one that really cared about him at Bacchus's party where she showed him that she still had magic and then she was the only one trying to contact him after everyone abandoned him. She's the one he thinks has most affection for him. And so it does make sense putting them together. But I think you did need another piece of that dynamic and that's why they brought Marina back in. Before we go there, though, Julia sees Dean Fogg in Timeline 40, current, to tell him while the other McAllisters are dead, she's worried that Irene is still out there. This scene I liked specifically because of Dean Fogg. There's oftentimes they have to have Dean Fogg act either closed off because he can't tell them something or... Broken. Broken. In this particular case, I felt like a little bit of Dean Fogg. Dean Fogg was pulling through. And the way he was speaking to Julia, I don't know, it was just like the cool Dean Fogg that I picture him to be. Yeah, well, in our world, we've never really got to see a relationship between them because Julia didn't go to break bills. But we know that in every other timeline, she's gone there, been an amazing magician, and they probably had a fairly strong mentor-student relationship. So here we're able to kind of see perhaps what that would have been like when she tells him that Irene won't be able to find her fairies because she's replaced all the wards and shields around Breakbills. He's incredibly surprised that she could do that alone. Surprised and impressed. Uh, Me too. I'm really enjoying this power-up. If anyone watched Dragon Ball Z, it was awesome (laughs) when a character would hit Super Saiyan 1 and then Super Saiyan 2. For some reason, I think as viewers, seeing someone get stronger and stronger or better at something, we really enjoy because that's something we always strive to do in our life. And I I think seeing Julia getting this strong and doing it the right way is a very fun concept that I think a lot of us are willing to jump on board with. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in the TV version, you didn't get to see them replace the wards and shields once, did you? how complex that was, everything they had to go through. I don't believe so, no. I'm confusing now. I know they had it in the books, but there was a time where they went down and they had to reset them up and almost every professor at Breakbills had to go out there. It was a very intricate set of steps and motions. Oh, no, we definitely didn't see that. If they lost their place, they had to start all over again. That sucks. They all had to work together. They had to have help. So I don't think you really get the full extent of how hard it would be to do that, much less alone and so quickly. That's pretty amazing. When I think about the wards being down, I just think about the fence with the hole in it. (laughs) That one scene, and that's when the fox comes in. That is incredible. But at the same time, we saw Julia fail when she was trying to make the Rhineman Ultra. Well, that's why I tell you this, because I, I think it's hard to conceptualize when they're just throwing words at you in spells that you don't know exactly how much her skill is powering up. Sure, we see her get out of her bonds later. 
heal Marina of her smoking addiction, but those are minor things. This is something tangible that you can understand exactly how much magic you need to do that. And yeah, she struggles with the spell later. It's super complicated with the hand movements. We saw that our whole group had to work to do that together and how long it took the first time around to fight the beast. She is actually able to do it herself fairly quickly and throws it at him. It's just that the beast had a ward up. He was ready for it. So it smashed against his shield and did no damage. Right, but the first time, remember, it fell apart? The first time it fell apart because Julia messed it up for them. No, I mean the first time in this episode. Oh, oh yeah, she had to get it going a little bit. But once the beast showed up, she was, she was able, able to, to fling it, it at yeah. him, which is no small thing. I thought you were talking about the first time they tried this in Timeline 40, which it's probably a good idea to mention that in case you've forgotten the particulars of what went down there. I had to refresh myself. Julia didn't follow through with this plan that they all had together, which was that they would power up, they would get the spell working, and then she would use the Moonstone knife to kill him. Instead, she stopped that from happening so that she would be able to bargain with him to get Reynard back so she could have her revenge. And she pretended to offer that in exchange for the knife as though she was going to give it to the beast. We know that was kind of a trick, but... Still, this is why the group didn't trust her for a long time and felt like she had betrayed them. Yeah, she was very selfish before this new Julia came to us. Yeah, we spoke about that a lot, how she got very involved in her own mission, her own trauma, her own revenge. She even said it in this episode. This brings up some questions we've been talking about. How much can her magic keep leveling up? How much will she be able to do? In our viewpoint, it's practically limitless as long as she keeps doing the right thing. We're talking godlike powers. So limitless, you know, to us, it's like, it's, it's just... Ember and Umber created a world. Yeah. And they were minor gods. So that's the kind of magic level we're talking about here. And she continues to do the right thing. And we'll talk about it later this episode. Even in getting Q to kill himself, she managed to do it without her actually doing it. I know. I have pretty s- clever. I have some thoughts about that. <laughs> but first, Julia tells Josh the fairy queen can't give them the sixth key or her realm will collapse. This is when they are suddenly transported inside the Tesla Flexion, and Julia realizes someone cast this to pull them inside. And they see who? Alternate Josh, who wears no glasses and seems more confident. Josh 23 says the plumbers of their timeline shut off magic, and they don't know how to kill the beast. Because he didn't lose his magic, he's unstoppable. Maybe it's got something to do with this key he wears around his neck, Josh says. Right, so that threw us off a little bit because we were like, oh my God, so this key gives you magic. Mm. That's not the case. Yep. Josh 23 also says Julia was the best magician they ever had in this version. They have to find their way back here. They're his only hope. Cue Star Wars reference. <laughs> but this is also when we realize it's the same timeline that they used the Tesla flexion last season. Right. To talk to Alice. They realize that because... The Alice from the 23rd timeline was the sole survivor of the beast, the one they wound up bringing back. But Penny's alive, so he's a survivor. Maybe he didn't battle the beast. There's something about this Penny we don't know about. Well, remember what I said, that when he brings them to the library later, he tells them ever since he's been going there, it's been empty. So this is a whole different story for Penny. He doesn't wind up at the poison room and dying from that the way he does in our timeline. Mm. He never meets them. He never has any of those encounters. 
Right, I'm just saying, Josh was saying everyone died except for Alice. Maybe they're not counting Penny as they normally don't ever count Penny. <laughs> I guess you're right. I'm sorry to say. But this is also the point where they're transported back and our Josh says, this must be the seventh key. And is there any reason they can't do this out of order? Man, does this show echo our thoughts or what? I love it. Me too. It means we're on the right track. But this is test number 5,630 times for Julia <laughs> because she says the right thing. Uh, this has been Q's thing. You know, normally we open the book, we read it, then we go after the key. We don't do it key before the chapter in the book. This has been Q's thing. We should ask him. I hate that sentiment. I'm really? sorry. I'm just going to come right out and say it. But you've been on that sentiment this whole season. I was on that sentiment when it came to Alice because we couldn't trust Alice and we knew she was out to get her hands on that book for less than pure purposes. Here, we know that Julia's intentions are pure. I do agree with telling the group about it, trying to get everyone together. Right. I was going to say, because we always say the group has to do it together. 100%. I wouldn't have liked her going along with Josh's idea. Let's just have this be a solo quest. But the way she almost deferred to him, like Quentin is in charge of this entire thing. Well, he likes to read the book and he likes to narrate the chapters and maybe we should get his permission first. No, she didn't mean it that way. It was more, she said, I've always been on my own thing, trying to find my own magic, Mm -hmm. which is what I was referring to earlier in this podcast. The fact that she's been on her own quest. But the difference in this season is that she acknowledges it. She knows it. I've been doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. This is my thing. That's what she's saying. Quentin runs his thing. Right. But it's not just Quentin's thing. And he's not in charge of it all. Why not? Not in charge, but the starting line. Because they have a way they've been going about it and they've been doing it correctly. They've been getting the keys. Mm -hmm. I just, I guess I read it differently from her. I think you hate women. That's what it is. Is that me saying I hate women or I hate (laughs) Quentin? (laughs) I think it's me saying I often hate Quentin. (laughs) I, you know, it all goes back to that thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way about Quentin feeling like he needs to be at the center of all this. He needs to be the hero of the story, or at the very least, this is his damn book. Let him be the narrator and say when the quest starts and when it doesn't. Um, I, I get that this is sort of all he has left to him. So, you know, bravo to that. But I want even still to see a little more growth from him. We are finally getting that this season, and I'm, I'm very happy to see it. I hope it continues. I feel like Quentin Forty has acquiesced to being the hero already. We, when we had the depression monster, he kind of displayed that. He, he acknowledged he's not the hero. I don't think he's still trying to be the hero at this point. I think he's trying to survive and help his friends. I agree that he's given up on that thought, but we've learned from Quentin 23, there is something inside of him that's dangerous, and I don't know that he's worked through that. The thing we've often talked about, that he's searching for something outside of himself that will finally make him happy, that will finally give him a purpose, that was always Fillory, and when he came to Fillory and that wasn't enough, now it's this big quest that he can be involved in and he can be important in. And he's finding out he doesn't really have that either. I'm uncomfortable with where the wrong direction led Quentin in timeline 23. And I'm just not confident enough to know that he's worked through it in a way that something bad won't happen to Quentin 40. Well, while we're talking about 23 and 40, because I know I'll forget by the time we get to it, I don't necessarily trust 
Penny, 23. I think there's more to his story that we don't know yet. Hmm. I think that he schemed this whole thing. I'm going to jump forward. This is way out of order here, but I got to do it. When Penny, 23, speaks to Josh, 40, in the room, and he starts asking about Penny, 40. This is going to get very confusing, by the way. (laughs) I watched it the second time, and I realized what he was trying to do is, so what's my story in pen so what's my story in your timeline mm-hmm. which seems natural like a question that you would ask mm-hmm. but the way he kept drilling and drilling is the wrong word the way he kept asking further questions he was scheming can i get over there yeah right away he he was trying to find a way to join this group yeah but it's obvious why and i don't know those are he has ne- nothing here not only that he is madly in love with Julia and he doesn't have a Julia in timeline 23, but there is a Julia in timeline 40. And I don't think those are necessarily nefarious purposes. He just knows he needs her. The penny we know has always been in the mix as far as where the quest entails. This penny seems like he's been adrift for a while. He survived for a reason. And he wasn't involved in the library thing. So what was he doing this whole time in Timeline 23? Has he been shunned by the group? Did he do something wrong that we don't know because the group is dead? But he still had a relationship with Julia. How did he manage that? That's weird, right? Because it seems like she was a central part of things in this timeline, being in Breakbills. But that might have been that kind of relationship where she was angry with him. They were no longer talking because he wronged them. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know. Maybe he thinks she's so in love with me and we were soulmates. But even in 23, she never really felt that way about him. Or he's manipulative. We never know. We don't know. But I I just want to put that out there to the Clatchers. I may be way off, but I think we need to watch this Penny. It's interesting. I never even questioned Penny. The one I was immediately suspect of was Marina. Because the second that door opened, she ran through. And but that's she, Marina being Marina. She was just the same old Marina. I thought maybe she was a little better in this timeline. No, she was ready to offer up Julia to the Beast. Then she was going to sacrifice Alice so that they could kill Quentin. It was dangerous having her around the first time. I'm not excited about having her around this time. So she's, she's really the one where my focus was, and I know that was intentional. Yeah. Well, I might be way off. I might be wrong here. But a part of me is saying it's too good to be true. No, it is interesting to think about, especially with the whole, what was he doing that whole time then? I didn't think about that, but that's a gigantic gap that he's going to have to fill in order for us to feel confident about that. But let's get back into the plot. I just totally derailed the Munjek. Correct course. That's okay, because there was a giant jump here in plot. Julia and Josh were on their way to Fillory to try to tell Quentin and the group about the seventh key, when the time key instead sends them to an alternate break bills lab. And Julia realizes they're back in the old timeline. They're greeted by alternate Josh and Marina, who doesn't know Julia there because she went to break bills and Marina's just a hedge witch. When Julia admits she didn't go in her current timeline, Josh 23 says, that's like Hermione Granger not getting into Hogwarts. (laughs) I got to tell you, this is where the fun really started for this episode because we're starting to see the dichotomy between the two timelines. And it's so interesting as a viewer who has gotten so comfortable with what we've been taught. And it's like, oh my God, okay, so that's right because Julia was able to go to break bills. She was never part of the Hedgewitches. So of course Marina wouldn't know her. 
You know, it's just so fun. And it's also funny to me how much the show has now diverged, particularly in this season, from the original books. And for the best, I think. I'm in love with this season. I am in love with the fact that I don't really know where we're going, even though I know source material. They've really struck out and done their own thing. But there are pieces that call back. So we always knew that Alice was a great magician, but she was the Hermione Granger of Breakville's. She was the one who was accelerated ahead of her grade and stepped up because she was such a good magician. And she was a little bossy and a little bit to herself, but amazing. Whereas in this one, that was probably Julia. She was the one everybody said, she's the best magician of our time. She's the best one in the school. Uh, They also tell us here the reason why all of these different magicians, including hedge witches like Marina, band together was to survive, to fight back against the beast. And they're safe there at Breakbills because he thinks everyone there is dead after the first massacre he performed. Marina says if Julia and Josh help them kill the beast, they can have his key. It seems like they've reached a deal when Julia and Josh pass out because they've been roofied. They wake up tied with Professor Sunderland's chains. Josh 23 and Marina explain they didn't have a way to stop the beast until now, but they're planning to give Julia to him. Since the beast first showed up, he's been asking for her. They figure this will appease him, and he'll be there soon enough because he can sense magic. Julia tells Marina they have another choice. In her timeline, they defeated the beast with the Rhinoman Ultra spell. When she counters, you need godlike powers to cast that. Julia magics their chains off and takes away Marina's scar, migraines, and smoking addiction. Which convinces her she has it oh kick-ass move by julia (laughs) i love this part what's great is we knew that no one knew she had the god power and i like how she's been careful everywhere she goes with divulging that information until it's completely necessary and at this point it was she was able to take it off we get the hell yeah moment right we don't get that too much because the bad guys tend to win often Mm -hmm. in mid-season always in the magicians (laughs) yeah and then she's still kind enough to heal marina's face Headache and smoking addictions. Right. She didn't have to do all that. It's in her. What I like about this is that she's not being good just to get more power. It feels natural. Like this is what she wants to do. I agree, but I also didn't think that was entirely where it was coming from with Marina. And I think they proved that theory right later on. She still has a ton of residual guilt for what she did to Marina in her timeline. Of course, yeah. Based off of guilt of what she's done in the past, but it wasn't a ploy to get more power. No, no, certainly not. And I thought it was pretty apropos that in this timeline, Marina is the one willing to turn Julia over to the beast. But in our timeline, it's Julia who's willing to use Marina as bait for the Mm -hmm. fox. Exactly reverse. Marina agrees to this, but they need to get the spell first. Julia thinks Dean Fogg will have it. And it's Funny that Marina thinks she's on okay terms with Dean Fogg in this <laughs> timeline, but she shows up to his office and she's been stealing things from him. Yeah, but he doesn't even know. I know. He's frustrated with her, though, almost exactly the same, except it never turned really intense between them. Marina seems a little bit more normal, perhaps, here. And Julia doesn't tell her what happened between them in the past. There's a couple of tense moments where she purposefully skates over that the relationship that they had in her timeline. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting to note that 
Dean Fogg here is, again, using drugs, alcohol, this time opiates. When I think about it, I don't blame Dean Fogg. He's living his own... Nightmare. Nightmare, yeah, but Groundhog's Day. But the worst Groundhog's Day ever, where he has to constantly (laughs) try to defeat the beast with these kids. And he finds out here just how many more he has to go. And that almost pushes him over the edge when he learns Julia's from timeline 40. I got to do this so many more times. Kidding me? And he explains just how bad it's been here. Creatures have gotten chopped up for their magic. Everything went to shit. The Reinemann spell was with Bigby, but she's gone. He sent two students there to get it, but they died. Now their ghost's still in the library. They might remember the spell, but they're dangerous. At this point, did you know who the two students were? I had no idea. Me neither. Not even an inkling. While this is going on with them, Josh stays back to talk to Josh number 23, who he's calling Dick Josh. So Dick Josh says, no one showed up for him after spring break. He came back determined not to need anyone. A new Josh. Our Josh is kind of in awe of him at first, thinking, man, I, I got to I I get there at yeah. some point. I could end up like this. The more he talks to him, though, the more he starts to see the cracks in his facade. He's so wounded, talking about how his friends abandoned him. And listen, man, you're kind of expendable. You're the Cedric Diggory of the group. Another Harry Potter reference, which I thought was so timely because we just released our Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone Patreon-exclusive movie review this week, which was such a fun time. We finally did it. We started the Harry Potter franchise reviews, excluding Fantastic Beasts, of course. Because we've done that already, Mm -hmm. and we will always do Fantastic Beasts. It was so much fun, and if you guys haven't joined yet, It's never too late. It's all there in the library along with well over two days worth of bonus content and movie reviews. All you got to do is sign up, go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon, and join there. That's 48 hours of content. And at some point in the future, we will slowly keep coming back and reviewing the rest of the Harry Potters as well. If you're a fan of that... Doctor Who. There's a Christmas special review in there. We do scary movies, fantasy movies. We've got a great mix. So you're not only getting great content, but you know you're helping Christina and myself out by signing up. And every month you're part of the drawing for free CKC gear. It's a fun family over there. You definitely want to join. So again, just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon, join us there. The raffles are a limited time only. We will keep the fun going for a while, but right now we have ones for new and existing members, two pools each month. It is the right time to sign up and there's a tier for anyone. Be sure to check it out. So Josh is doing what I think I would do if I saw an alternate me who looked a lot cooler. You look at the facade, you look at, that's the guy I've been trying to be when I look in the mirror. That's the guy I aspire to be. I want to be cool. I want to be part of the crew. But like most of the times, the people that have the nicest facade, the nicest exterior are just hiding a lot of shitty interior. All the cracks underneath. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our Josh lets it all hang out, bless him. But that's why we love him, right? The group, his friends are very important to him. He's kind. Yes, he's hurt when people don't acknowledge him or they take him for granted. But he still wants to be a part of that. He's not running away from it the way this Josh is. Oh, I'm just too cool. I'm, I'm done. I'll do my own thing. We see that is not really working for alternate Josh. And he even admits that maybe he pushed them away too. Finally, he mentions the quickening. Every time he says, well, you don't know what I've gone through. I've actually had it much harder. And our current Josh keeps saying, what are you talking about? He says the quickening, but he won't explain more than that. We are assuming 
this is his sexually transmitted lycanthropy because he mentions having slept with a werewolf. Right, but I'm so confused because is the quickening something Dick Josh is afraid that's coming or is it something that already happened to him? No, it sounds like something that's been happening to him and that's why he thinks he's had it so much harder than our Josh. But didn't we see our Josh be afflicted with that? Not our Josh. It was a different timeline, Josh. That one was too? Yeah. Oh, I'm getting so confused. I know. Wibbly wobbly. Okay, so our present Josh does not yet have any form of lycanthropy. Well. Maybe? Let's wait till that scene with Penny later on. Okay. To discuss that. In the library, Julia and Marina find the students who died. It's Elliot and Margot. I can't even express how deeply disturbed I was (laughs) by these scenes. We've had kind of scary scenes before where they borderline play it to a cheesy horror movie or frightening things like the beast. And when he came back in and those sound effects were behind him, oh, I got chills down my spine. But this was different. I was truly disturbed, not just afraid. Uh, That was on purpose. And I think they really portrayed that well with the lighting, the hallway and the makeup that Elliot and Margot had on their face as ghosts. It was plastered on. And the way they acted it as well, it was very uncomfortable. Yeah, they really played on their relationship together. So we find out Bigby wouldn't give the spell to them when they came looking for the Rhinoman Ultra. Now, if you remember, let me just refresh it for everybody. When we met Bigby, it was Dean Fogg. Remember that beautiful house they went to? And a few of the crew members. I don't think it was Elliot or Margot there. I want to say Quentin was part of that. Yeah. And it played out differently because they kind of, she took a liking to Alice, I think. I think it was Quentin and Alice. Yeah. It was Quentin and Alice. That's right. So it played out completely different. Imagine showing up there and it's just Elliot and Margot. Who at the time are very different Elliot and Margot characters than we see them now in Fillory. I mean, he even says, she called me a lush. No offense, I know Dean Fogg was probably down on his options at that point, but... He should have went. For, and as many awesome things about Elliot and Margot and how great they will become later, at this point in their timeline, they were far from the best magicians of the group. Absolutely, you're right. And they were not negotiators as far as negotiating with people that couldn't be manipulated with mm-hmm. the kind of manipulation they had. If you remember, they were party animals. They kind of were, you know, they were like college kids who were popular. They weren't taking anything seriously. If I was Bigby, I wouldn't have given it to them either. Besides the fact that they need a power-up just to get it to work. And this is what they're struggling with. They have found the page in a book in the library, which I thought this was impossible to get. And that's why we went through all of this with Bigby in the first place. How did they find it? But okay, moving past that, they discover it, but then a time jump occurs we realize that they are reliving the same scene over and over. At this part, Elliot is stumbling around with blood on him saying, I screwed it up over and over again. This was great acting. Oh my God. So trippy. And don't forget, we saw a glimpse of him with blood all over him, his face right when they walked into that room first. Oh yeah, we didn't know crazy. what it was about. I watched it again, still didn't look like Elliot. There was so much blood. It was so crazy. (laughs) But I think the issue that they had with this is the thing that we keep preaching over and over again. They were trying to look for a power-up because they weren't working together. So they couldn't use each other They needed the whole group, we found out in our our current timeline. There's no way two of them were going to be able to do it. They were so desperate. You know, Margot 
just told him we can't screw it up. And that's why he was repeating those words. We see in a healthier timeline adventures of Elliot and Margot when Margot says something that resonates so strongly with Elliot. And he talks later about how you can either be brave or smart and live another day and he's choosing to be smart. But in the very tragic timeline 23, what resonates is the warning she gave him and it didn't work because he messed it up and he can never get over it. And we see Margot walk out with half of her face blown off. Yeah. Well, it sufficiently scares the crap out of Marina and Julia who take a picture of the page and leave. And as if that wasn't enough, on the way out, Julia sees Penny. He's shocked and happy that she's alive. And this is the point he kisses her and says she's his soulmate. There was a ton of emotion going on here, and I think that's why I was remiss to be wary of Penny. I wasn't wary of him right now. I think Penny has so often claimed to be a loner who doesn't need other people, but we've seen through that facade from the very beginning. And Katie is a great fit for him, but she's always so hard and tough and reserved herself that you could see where maybe it's difficult for the two of them to bring out that deeper emotional side in a relationship. Whereas Julia, kind of like the one we're seeing now, who has more emotional depth, if they did have a good relationship, I could see Penny being completely distraught over losing her. Not only that, it's not just Penny having the emotions. Julia Forty, as she's explaining to him that she's not his Julia, looks like she really feels for him. Like she's on the verge of tears, seeing how badly hurt he is. And we know that she did kind of care about him. We saw a little of that when Penny passed away, but not to this extent. I wondered why it moved her so much. It moves her enough, in fact, that she allows him to come along and help. Well, I don't really know. I don't have an answer It's just a conjecture, but I think the crew knows how much they needed him. And I think it's more damaging that they lose Penny than they're showing because they're so intertwined with what they have to do. Or that could be me just hoping. No, I I fully agree with that. And I don't think the rest of the group ever gives him enough credit. But I didn't think that's the place it was coming from with Julia. It felt like a personally emotional place. We know for as many things as Julia's overcome and as strong as she has been able to be independent, she doesn't need other people. She still is lacking that emotional connection, the ability to have somebody there and be vulnerable. And I wonder if a part of her in that moment longed for it. I think you're right. And thought about a relationship another her could have had with somebody like Penny if she wasn't so busy with all this crap she's gone through. I think you might be right because we haven't seen anyone fawn for her this whole three seasons besides Q in the beginning, but that doesn't count. Or even get very close to her except for Katie, who awful things happened in that relationship too. So I kind of think Penny 23 could be right. If he comes to timeline 40 and hangs around enough, Julia might wind up falling for him. And that's going to present all kinds of crazy things because we do have a Katie in Timeline 40. Now, she's going to know in a logical sense when she meets this Penny, it's not really my Penny, but that's probably not going to stop her from having feelings for him. No, I think it's going to break her heart. I think when she first sees Penny, she's going to be aghast and she's going to grab him and be like, Penny... And Penny's going to be, well, this this particular Penny is very uh, stoic, might be the wrong word. He's kind of, he talks a little more like this, mm-hmm. closed off. I think it's going to break her heart when she realizes that's not the Penny. If I had to look at you, your face, your physical features, your voice, 
your shortness <laughs> and you act like you don't know me, that would break my heart, you know? Yeah, from your end, it would have to feel like initially I have another chance, you know? My penny's not in the underworld. He's not lost to me forever. Somehow somebody just magically delivered it, but it's not your penny and he doesn't want you. He's in love with somebody else. I, I mean... There's no way it doesn't cause massive amounts of problems. And I know I'm jumping again, but what does having not only one, but several characters from a different timeline come into our timeline mean for 40? Isn't there dangerous consequences to this? Butterfly effects? Are they altering the way things are? Is that why the planet's all fucked up that we keep seeing? I know he's in the underworld, but you are literally now going to have two pennies here in Timeline 40. Can that exist? Does it break shit? It has to have problems. But back to break bills. Julia tries to power up the spell while the two Joshes make nice, but then the beast appears. Can I say how badass it was to have the beast appear that way and just sitting there chilling and you see his hand? Gets Uh, me every uh, time. Yeah, I love that. This is what I'm talking about with, with this cue. Just chill as chill can be. Sitting on the couch just watching it happen and then slowly gets up. I think that's more scary than a bad guy that just comes in loud and fast. Mm -hmm. Very intimidating and without hesitation kills alternate Josh. Josh sacrifices himself. This is where Julia tries to cast the spell, but he throws up a shield and we see that it is in fact Quentin. Before that can even resonate, Penny helps them all travel out. Of course, with Julia powering up his... Tattoo. Traveling tattoo, yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention, I really enjoyed seeing the tut on display this episode because we haven't seen it all season, really. I mean, we haven't seen intricate tuts like that. And I always enjoyed, I think we talked about this last season, the magic wand in Harry Potter is very cool, you know, swift, you know, like a swoop and... Swish and flick. Swish and flick, thank you. But watching a tut with the hand motions, there's something about that that makes the magic that comes from it more satisfying. It feels older, as though if you had to turn hieroglyphics into hand movements, Mm. that's what it would look like. Yeah, exactly. But I more enjoyed seeing the traveling again, and it made me think about how many times Penny's traveling powers saved them in our timeline. To have him back and able to do that for us in the current timeline and even travel multiple people if Julia's there to power that up could be something we really make use of. If he's on our side. (laughs) Next, we get that brief dying world shot. And Penny takes them to the Netherlands library where he tells us it's been empty since he began coming there. And also that Quentin is the one that convinced Julia to run away to Fillory in 23 where she was murdered by the beast. This confuses our group because Alice 23 had told them the beast tore out Quentin's shade and killed him. To this, Penny says they should talk to Alice. And no sooner do they think that than they are transported to the Muntjac, where Alice sits looking sad and missing her fingers. Oh, more importantly, there's a bunch of bunnies. (laughs) A a lot of bunnies. Oh my god, I couldn't stop. I like, really this was want a very serious conversation and I was so distracted and couldn't stop bunnies. laughing. I don't know what gets me so bad about them. Because they're so furry and soft, but I want a bunny, but every time I think about the amount of shit but that you have to clean up. What does the bunny say this time? He has a lot. Other cabin. <laughs> yes! <laughs> 
And they're making carrot wine and Captain Hops. Oh, it's amazing. I want to be there. Fuck. I love how they incorporated the Munchak again. Yes, alternate Munchak this time. So there is Alice. She explains to them she was going to give up on Quentin until Q and Julia Forty came to her in the first Tesla flexion, and she realized he was alive in another timeline. That gave her hope. There was a creature in the northern marsh who can give you just about anything for a price, and she agreed that when she dies, she won't go to the underworld. She will belong to him. She gave her power to bring back Quentin from the underworld without his shade. She thought she could fix that later, but it was the biggest mistake she ever made because without that, it wasn't him. So this is where I'm saying they don't have to they don't have to re-explain anything because we okay we know what happens when you don't have your shade. Bad okay, news we bears. get it, you know, which is great writing. Uh, so one thing I had a thought about, and I'm not really confident about this, but I just want to say it. This Alice was very reminiscent to the Alice that we found in the underworld. Who's the one that's writing? Cassandra. Exactly. Now, I might just be hung up on the fact that they utilized Alice in that storyline. Maybe it's not really Alice. I but she said she was, a beast. I thought she was very different personality-wise, the way she was portraying the character, because she was so human, so emotional, so honest. She wasn't just this deranged, crazy person, although keep her alive however many years longer, shut up in a room and seeing futures that she can't do anything about, I'm sure that could turn into it. And there's also the analogy of her selling herself to a greater being in exchange for something she wants. But instead of a Niffin who wants more power, the route she took there, this one, she remained human throughout. And so the thing she values most is her love for Quentin. Yeah. So yeah, it's not the same person, but it's very reminiscent of it. And let's say I think the Alice character has gone through, or we've seen so many renditions of her, I think she's been the most, right? So many different, I mean, Alice first year, mm-hmm. very shy. Then we got Alice with power and confidence. Then we got Alice with our shade. Mm-hmm. Then we got Niff and Alice. Then we got, used to be a Niff and... human, <laughs> trying to come back to herself, yeah. Then we got the underworld, Alice. And now we got this one with bad shoes. And wooden fingers. And wooden fingers. <laughs> Yeah, I agree, though, those same beats. And so I come back to, A, how much can you really change things in the end? And B, how much does messing with timelines, even just a little, butterfly out? Those two minutes that they went to her in the original Tesla flexion set off this whole course of events where Quentin winds up becoming the beast in this storyline. Had she never seen that and brought him back from the underworld, that would have never happened. Yet another thing that Julia is going to wind up feeling guilty about. Alice continues, after bringing Quentin back, he wanted Fillory for himself. So he killed the beast. That wasn't enough. So he found a way to kill Ember and steal his powers. But because he killed a god, the old gods took magic away. Quentin still had the power he stole from Ember. He told me that Fillory was the only thing he truly loved. He was afraid of magic, of any magician who might bring it back, anyone who would oppose him, take Fillory from him. And now Alice works for the bunny radish smugglers because it's the only place Q can't track her. She's been trying to find a way to fix her mistake to kill him. 
She located a weapon, the knife, the very one that made Elliot High King that we saw in our timeline. Again, it's something that they don't have to explain. Very clever. She traveled to the past and made a deal with the knife maker to get it, but she doesn't have enough power to touch it. And yet again, same as our timeline, Julia Ken. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is a leading provider of premium audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks and other audio products. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. On this podcast, we often talk about psychology, self-help, and how to better yourself. If you're interested in books like that, Audible has a section for self-development, and one of their new books includes Mind Hacking, a 21-day approach to training the brain. But we also know you listeners are definitely interested in things like the Magician's books. All three are on Audible, narrated by Mark Bramhall, who is amazing. And I have to tell you, sometimes I search for new audiobooks based on the narrators, who I know I enjoy. I always loved Roy Detrice, who narrated the Game of Thrones books, and Dick Hill is another spectacular narrator. Well, it looks like I have no more excuses to not have read the Magician's book. You have no excuses for anything, Jason, because Audible allows you to send books to other people as well. You can share one from your library with anyone, even if it's their first time accepting a book, and they can listen for free. They also help you to listen to books by letting you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. With My Library, you can access your books anytime right from your smartphone. They have free apps for iPhone, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. You can download and listen to tons of books, hands and eyes free while doing almost anything. Audible members get a credit every month that is good for any audiobook, regardless of the price. And unused credits roll over to the next month. Didn't like your audiobook? You can exchange it, no questions asked. Plus, your books are yours to keep. Unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible you can go back and re-listen anytime. Even if you cancel your membership, you own these books now. I am truly excited to talk about Audible. I have used them for a very long time. I know that we all have busy lives, but this is a way that you can keep enjoying your books. And Audible is the best way to do that. And here's the best part about all of this. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com forward slash CKC and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash CKC or text CKC to 500-500 to get started. That's audible.com slash CKC. There is a side conversation where Josh reflects to Penny whatever bad thing was going to happen the alternate Josh that he kept talking about is going to happen to him. He's very afraid of that. Kind of looking for some advice from Penny, but Penny in a dick-like way just says, uh, listen, if you're going to turn into that Josh, the other timeline dick Josh, just make sure you're far away from Julia when it happens. Yeah, he says it in a more obscure way. He calls him dick Josh. It was very cold. And bizarre and I- reaction to what he was saying. Basically, you... You're going to put us all in danger. This particular Penny seems to not have those feelings that our Penny has. He doesn't have the love. This is what I'm concerned about. But further, I think we need to talk about this Josh. Why is he so worried? Alternate Josh kept going on and on about the quickening and wouldn't explain it to him. And look how broken he had wound up. I would for sure think, is that going to wind up happening to me now here? Okay, but we're talking about an STD. 
that turns you into a werewolf. And when you're a werewolf, you could run around murdering your friends, which is what Penny's worried about. So. Stay away from my girl if that happens. Our Josh told Josh 23, well, that's why you're dumb. Why would you sleep with a werewolf? Mm -hmm. Insinuating that he hasn't even slept with a werewolf. I believe he actually did. And he was just trying to be cool or be the one that had one up on that Josh. I think perhaps he did sleep with a werewolf and now he's worried about the quickening. Or maybe he didn't. He didn't know it because when they're not changed into werewolf form, they look just like other people. How would he know? He even likens it to magical herpes or something. Uh, murder, murder, murder herpes. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense that it, it could have happened and he's just not seeing the effects of that yet. This sucks because Josh was the one that wasn't hindered yet by all the negatives. I mean, he's had negatives, but the negatives of our timeline as far as our crew is concerned. So he could have the humor that we were missing. Now he's going to have his own dark spot here. And now we have to worry about him. What is he going to do? Transforming and harming someone. All that stuff. So uh, that's an issue. So we have two things to worry about here. Two. I I even read on the uh, internet people thinking maybe that was Josh 23 disguised at 12. Josh for I know but I, don't I didn't that. I didn't get that I don't believe that I don't think there's any indicators it seemed like our Josh so we have two things to worry about here how Josh is going to deal with this and what this penny is going to be really like I have a feeling he's going to be the polar opposite of the penny we know he's going to be very cold very dark and not willing to help anybody I hope I'm wrong here and with Josh this isn't going to happen but I always wish this if he would just talk to him Talk to the crew, tell him verbatim what he's worried about. They'd be more apt to help. And maybe Dean Fogg can help with uh, not a cure, as he said. It's not a cure, but it's something to to keep the hunger at bay or something. They had a way to do it. We saw, I guess it was another Josh. I can't really remember the details where they were keeping him locked up when the changing happened. Yeah. In the Break Bill's dungeon yep. or something? Mm-hmm. Well, while this is happening, aside, Marina suggests using Alice as bait to draw Quentin in and stab him in the back. Julia finally explains she tried to kill a god once, using Marina as bait. Marina wound up getting killed, and bad things happened to Julia. She couldn't tell her before because it was her fault, but she can't ever do that again. However, Julia knows Q deep down, and she thinks she can use that against him. Well, that's a precursor to her giving him a shade. She knows how many feelings this guy has. It's like when they were using the bottles to trap their emotions, and then they would get thrust back into them. Same sort of concept. Exactly. So the group goes to White Spire, which seems at first neglected and littered with junk. But they realize it's not trash. They find the remains of the winter's dough, a polished rod from the Silver Banks, a bugle from Brass City that Rupert learned to play on. Q has been hoarding all of these things. Obsession. He, they even said at one point, he firmly believed he understood and loved Fillory better than anyone else, and yeah. they just didn't get it. And those were almost the exact words of Martin Chatwin from the books when he was explaining to Rupert why he had to do these terrible things he was about to do. 
it was worth it because he could never go back to his life on earth, which was shit. And he loved Fillory more than anyone. That's why he had to stay. And it was Ember and Umber, these horrible gods who kept throwing him out and thought it was fun to not let him back in. They were the real bad guys Mm -hmm. and just got led down this path so far astray. So I I love that they're just changing that all to be Q here. They try distracting him, but he can smell Alice and calls her out. Alice tries to talk to him thinking he's still there somewhere. After all, he killed every magician but her. But it doesn't work. He kills her too. All seems lost until Julia comes up behind him and puts her shade into Q. Very cool scene, by the way. Yeah. I didn't realize what had happened at first. Me neither. I thought she just used some godly force to push him back and show him, I've got power too. I saw saw, um, this behind the scenes. And after that scene, Jason actually gets thrown back into that chair. And Stella's like, are you okay? Because it looked painful. Maybe that was the initial reaction I was seeing, just his shock. Mm -hmm. But then you see the emotions come over his face and it cripples him. He feels horrible about Alice, the fact that he killed her. And Julia takes this opportunity to ask Hugh where he found the key. She thinks he knew it could be used to bring back magic, and he couldn't have that, so he got to it first. That's when he saw visions of the future and saw Julia killing him. That upset me so much because he didn't tell her where the key was. He didn't actually answer the question. I wanted to know, where was that key? He didn't answer much of anything, to be honest. But as a therapist, that's going to help him. Tell help me them. this: when you're that emotional, you don't really answer questions. That well, it's no, just like this, right? You don't give an answer. You kind of give your emotional thought at that moment. It's just that maybe Julia didn't think this all the way through to the mm. end of the plan. Um, she just knows in the moment, and I don't even think she had this planned out before. When it happens, she just can't kill him. She doesn't want to. She puts down the knife. Says she won't. Well, I was wondering, how are they going to play this? Because Julia, I always think of Persephone when I look at Julia and the magic that she's gaining. If she was to kill her friend, even if he's the beast of her friend, that's not what made Persephone give her the power. No, but I feel it would have been justified in the way that Persephone is good, but wound up having to kill her own son, Reynard, because of how far afield he had gone how many horrible things he had done, there was no saving him, right? Do we think of her badly or as a bad god for doing that, even though it was her son? This is not Quentin anymore. There is no getting back his shade, meaning there's no turning him back into the person he was. I don't think I would have looked upon her badly if she'd had to do that. She needed to save her group and everyone else. I don't know that it makes it any less tragic that Quentin winds up killing himself here. No, but it was a very clever move by Julia. Make him feel bad enough to kill himself. But there's the thing. That would still make me feel a little upset if that was her plan. I don't think it was. No, no, not at all. She puts it down and just says, like, I can't do it. And then he snatches it up and... Yeah. And what she was trying to do is just show him what he's done. I mean, she, I think she was willing to go without her shade. Till they could fix it. Yeah. I do too. I mean, she's, think about it, the only one who's lived without it and managed not to kill everyone. I mean, she wasn't great without it. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But they figured out how to get past that until they could fix her. Mm-hmm which has to say something about Julia in and of itself. The most disturbing thing, though... You were trying to let magic in, but you let in something much worse. What? A monster. 
One even worse than me. Oh, so that's going to be our nemesis next year. I'm curious what the hell that's going to be. That's not something we've encountered or have any inkling of yet, No, not at all. No, not at all. But here's the thing. Like we said on the top of this episode, but she let in something much worse. So he never said, instead of magic, a monster came out. I agree. I got a little distracted in the thought that you had been hoping this whole time taking away magic might be the gods just trying to teach us a lesson instead Mm -hmm. of being mean and punish us and dangle it like a carrot, which Hades admits to them doing. But is there something to them monitoring and watching creatures like the beast that try to steal so much magic, even godlike magic, and get too powerful and too evil? They can't let them even have access to more magic. They have Mm. to shut it down until someone can eliminate those bad seeds. No, no, no. You don't think so? No. I think these gods know there's always going to be bad seeds. Always. You're never going to eliminate all the bad seeds. To a certain extent, but how much do you let them keep going up and up in power before something has to be done? They don't care enough. Or they don't care? They don't care enough. Even if they wind up obtaining godlike powers and could threaten them, maybe they never get that high. Never, no. Okay. Yeah. I was waiting for the correct moment, and I think we will never have the correct moment. I want to state this. I really believe Hades is not good. I think we cannot trust Hades. What he did to Penny, I don't know, and I can't extrapolate off of that. But I think that Hades is not someone that's helping him or our crew. And there's something dangerous about him that we will see maybe this year. Are you just saying that, though, because of the way everyone pictures Hades and he's in charge of the underworld? Because No, because he was so smooth. When we watched him, I was like, oh, I like this Yeah, which could make even more of a persuasive argument for him being a villain. But the truth about Hades was that he was actually supposed to be rather fair and just. If the stories of him are true, I don't know that I'm ready to assume those things about him yet. I think he could be more in line with the library where if he's doing something not spectacular they still believe there's a a good reason why they're doing it most bad guys do though sometimes you talk about a lot in movie podcasts once again derailed us i'm sorry just uh, something to think about well let's take this opportunity to finish out the episode Quentin does end up taking the knife and killing himself at which point julia takes her shade back and the key meanwhile josh is waving the first key around, trying to find a door to open. How did he get that key? The illusion key? Oh, time has gone by. Because I thought Elliot still had that. No, that's how they got to this timeline, no? They had that key. They had a key to get to this timeline. Maybe it was. Okay. Well, I I don't even know what makes you think this was the illusion key. Because he's waving it around looking for a door. And we know that's what Elliot was doing with it when he was on the Munchak and wound up stumbling upon that door that the key revealed. All the keys are that way. If you need it, they will reveal a door. Hence, they're all keys. How do we know that? We've never seen another key do that. I assumed it. Oh, I thought elsewise because that was the only key we had ever seen do that. And I thought it just revealed things that we couldn't see. Um, or looked different to us. Okay, I dig what you're saying. Um, but anyhow, it works. <laughs> I mean, unbelievably, he winds up finding something. While this is happening, Penny asks Julia if the seventh key showed her anything. And she says she hasn't had any visions yet. 
He insists he's coming with her to return to the current timeline. There's nothing left here for him, but there he might have a chance. And Josh breaks in to tell them he found this door, but Marina already ran through, at which point the others follow her through the door. Okay, so we have Marina now thrown into the mix. <clears throat> Why Things did are she getting run really... through? Because so there's quickly. nothing in this world, too. Yeah, but he was shocked. Like, he turned his back and all of a sudden she was gone. This is mm-hmm. almost like Poppy piecing out in the other episode. Well, Marina is very similar to Poppy in the fact that they're on their own. They're for themselves. Out only for themselves. Yeah. Leaving us with a lot more questions. But we have another key. So we have six of seven. We know the where the last key one missing. is. Mm-hmm. Know where it is. How do we, we have get a dilemma. It? Yeah. There's a lot going on. We have Margot to worry about. And let's keep in mind, Julia hasn't seen the future because Julia already has her key. That's not her key. Right. And let's just reiterate, there's two keys left and two people that haven't claimed the keys as their own. And that would be Margot and Katie. So it's going to be up to one of them to see the difference. And maybe this is a just a big guess, and I hate to keep doing this to you guys. Maybe it's Margot holding that key where she realizes she needs to be on the Fairy Queen's side because she sees the future when she's not. That's a huge guess. I'm not even confident saying that. It could be, and that still leads us to Katie with the final key, and I'm having so much trouble bridging the gap of where we are now yeah. to Katie finding and connecting with the last Don't key. Know. I think you could be right. Just so much has to happen, and we only have a few episodes left. So much going on. <laughs> I'm so sad that it's leaving, and I'm, I just I want this to continue to go. Well, we've rambled on, Jason. Let's move to our rating. On a scale of 1 to 10 keys, what do you give episode 11? I'm going to go with 8.9 keys. I really enjoyed this episode, It was really nice to have a linear approach to it. So much has happened. It was great to get our minds turned upside down to see different timelines of the characters we know and love. It was an adventure that I really enjoyed. I'm going to give it a 9.1, right in line with IMDb. I liked it just a touch better than episode six, Do You Like Teeth, but not quite as much as episode one, The Tale of the Seven Keys. I do love the sticking with one plot line. I incredibly love the seeing alternate timelines thing, but I'm left with such squashed hopes (laughs) for the future of this entire season, getting magic back. What does this mean for our characters? What does it mean for their destiny? It makes me very afraid, so I find it hard to go higher, but I think it was incredibly well written, directed, acted. I I mean, everyone was on point here. Absolutely. Moving on to MVM. Where every week on Twitter at CKC Podcast, we ask our Clatchers, who is your MVM for this episode? And just as a preface, the winner of this week's MVM poll won by far on the largest percentage of any poll we've had up this season yet. And it's the first time that this character has won a poll for this season. And like always, we gave our Clatchers four characters to vote on. Julia, Josh, Penny, and Marina. To clarify, that is current Julia and Josh, but Penny 23 and Marina 23. It's a little confusing in an episode like this, but coming in fourth with 0% Josh. Oh, I'm so sorry, Josh. Coming in at third with 3% Penny 
Timeline 23. Coming in second with 12%, Marina 23. We got a little bit of Marina love happening. Well, she did help a lot, and it was really nice to see her back. But let's face it, she's not really a character that you're going to like. She's still kind of self-serving. Yeah. Kind of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And coming in at first place with 85%, Julia Gulia. The highest before that was Elliot and Quentin for A Life in the Day with 70%. Well, it's very obvious. I mean, it's, it's understandable. Julia was the catalyst of this episode. Well, that was a pairing too, though. I feel like it's easier to get on board with a pairing when they bounce so well off of each other. I was a little surprised to see in looking back that Julia has not won any of these poll options because I feel like especially the latter half of this season is when she's coming into her own for the first time. She's been the only one with magic, the only one fighting for the good. In season two, I don't think I voted for her for any of the MVMs. But in this season... I have had her twice alone and once as a pairing. Yeah, but I'm surprised that you're surprised because we have been discussing this. We have been understanding with the fact that she hasn't won yet because we saw that every time she was on screen, it was very important. But her screen time was five minutes of the hour and it just progressed. And we saw that the end of this season is going to be all about Julia, looking at the poster, looking at the progression of her character. And it's inevitable that these last couple of episodes are going to be all about Julia. Well, up until the last few episodes, though, she had some good play in all that, Josh. And the last episode, The Art of the Deal, in which you gave it to her because of the whole fairy thing. Major turning point. And our Clashers left comments on this poll. Mel saying, I debated for about 30 seconds if I should pick Josh over Julia. But of course, in the end, my critical and long debate, Julia got my vote. Melly said Julia was amazing, strong, in charge, and witty. Her trick with the shade impressed me a lot. Go, Julia. Amanda wrote, sorry, but Julia is MVM from beginning. And Amir, come on, this is a no-brainer. Julia showed us what magic is supposed to be used for in this episode. She is the MVM because she turned away from killing and went to saving. Plus, she's a badass. And Juliet wrote, you fucking know it was Julia. My goodness, language. Man, (laughs) this is so hard for me because I said it last time, I only have one Julia left to go. It's your own rule. I know, but because it's my own rule, I can't break (laughs) it. And I really think the way the momentum is building, there could be more. The trouble is, the other options here are not that fantastic. It was her story. Just give in. Well... What I'm struggling with here is we didn't put a distinction on the Josh character. We didn't say if it was Josh 40 or Josh 23. Either way, it doesn't win. Really? Because Josh 23 sacrificed his life to the beast for the group. That's kind of a big deal. He was turning into a werewolf anyways. But he had been going through that for quite some time. He would have come back. Okay, what's your MVM? Stop stalling. Well, given that the interpretation is open, I'm going to give it to Josh. I want to be different. (laughs) Well, if I have to save my Julia, I think he's the next best option. Okay. Because let's face it, this is the first time he has been part of the quest, part of the adventure. He did go along with Julia to help figure this whole thing out. We know he's having a lot of struggle facing up to who he is and dealing with that, especially after the All That Josh episode. And one of his alters 
helps continue the quest along. So I give it to him. All right. Well, I'm going to go with Julia. Surprise, surprise. Hey, that's only my second Julia. I know you're allowed. I, I know it's the obvious choice. She's the one who has the power. She's the one that's recognized what her part is in the story. And she was able to accomplish defeating the new beast, getting the new key, and taking control of one of the master hedge witches. So it's a, it's a big deal. Eric wrote in to say, wow, you are correct with your tweet. Holy plot twist. My rating, 9.9 keys. If Katie were present, it might have been a 10. MVM, well, even though I've preached Julia is actually the most valuable goddess, no one else seems to subscribe to this. So she's definitely the most valuable magician. Um, hey, we subscribe to that, Eric. Come on. Her power is growing exponentially, it would seem, with the entrance into the prime timeline of two characters from timeline 23, and now we have Marina back and a living Penny. Do I sense a Katie, Penny, Julia love triangle? Yes. Excitement, excitement. The acting on all levels was superb. So thank you, Eric. We agree on all points. And we also want to thank not Natasha and Muggle Desi for your awesome reviews on our Magicians channel. Thank you so much. The reviews are really growing on there, and we really appreciate all the kind words. It means the world to us. Thank you so much. And on our main channel, Theseus13, amazing. Thank you so much. Keep those reviews coming. It's because of you Clatchers and your reviews and you tweeting about us that this podcast continues to grow and grow. Well, that wraps it up for episode 11. We're just going to move into our previews for next time. If you are afraid of spoilers, we will see you for the next episode review. That's episode 12, The Valorian Candidate. For everyone still here, the synopsis told us the political situation in Fillory comes to a head. Julia makes amends. Alice makes a confession. Julia makes amends. I mean, hasn't she been doing that I know, right? all season? That doesn't tell us anything. Not at all. But Alice makes a confession is very intriguing. Do we finally get to figure out what she's been up to and what side she stands on? I guess so. Oh, that's scary. And even bigger than that, in the preview clip, they say chapter eight in the books talks about the castle at the end of the world. Only the gods know what's behind the door. One of our characters says the floodgates of magic are ready to be opened. And we see Julia, I think, blowing up a field with the magic coming out of her eyes. It looked like a bunch of crops being blown up. And then they show Julia's eyes doing that magic glowing thing. Oh, boy. So I don't know how that connects with anything. Well, we're approaching the end of the season, so we know every episode is going to be big things. So I'm very excited for next week. And just a reminder, this episode is probably late, so I apologize. I'm going to California, so I'm editing this at 6 in the morning on a plane, Vertigo. (laughs) I'll probably be drinking as well. So we're going to get that as soon as I have internet. And then also I will be coming back from California while the next episode airs. Yeah, so we might be a little bit late on the episode 12 review as well, but we can promise the season finale, episode 13, will be on time. And we may have a surprise. I don't want to bring it out yet just in case it falls through, but we may have another surprise for you. So keep your ears out for that. Hopefully that'll make up for it. And also, we're going to keep reminding you that after this season ends, we don't go away. We will be back for Westworld Review. It's only a week off, and then we start up our coverage. No rest for the weary. If you're a fan, be sure to check that out. And if you haven't watched yet, maybe go over and give season one a look. I mean, it's Uh, been a, a freaking amazing show. Well, we're out of magic for tonight. So till next week, 
This round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.